0: So um, I'm going to start about a month ago or so in a a church leaders weekend away, um, which is really significant um, because um, what I feel has happened is that um, after it, um, God has started moving in people and people have started basically pouring stuff out, uh, emptying themselves and God has been uh, putting some stuff back in again and um, there's been some very exciting results. Uh, For me, I feel more switched on and alive, and um, I actually care about people more than I've cared about people before, Um, and I I just know uh, around the room, uh, you could talk to quite a few different people, and they'll have a testimony of how God has transformed their lives, Uh, and it's quite recent, it's current, and what I felt like God was wanting me to bring today was that God started something, um, but um, there's more to come, Um, and the more to come bit is the bit that I want to look at. But just very briefly, um, uh, the picture, I I had a picture at um, the leaders weekend away, and it was a picture of um, a jar. I know a lot of people have seen it before, I know uh, Jamie did a really cool PowerPoint on it uh, for youth. Um, And uh, basically it was attached to this verse, and the verse goes, give and it will be given to you, a good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And the thing that God was um, talking to me about was this. He's not a tit-for-tat God. He doesn't um, you know, have a limited resource. So, you know, if, if we give him a little bit, he'll give us a little bit back because he's like that. Um, it, what he was saying, what he, I felt impromptu me was, um, uh, he gave me this picture of this uh, kind of jar. And if you imagine, uh, for the moment, the green bit, it could be anything, but imagine the green bits, the stuff that I've got, that I control, that I want to... Um, be in charge of, you know, it might be my finances, my money, my family. It's all these things that I'm I'm, uh, looking after. Um, And the empty bit is the bit that I give give to God. I let God control and have uh, hold of. Um, And he was basically showing me that if you imagine that empty bit, that's the bit that God can pour into. um, And that's that's a kind of capacity for him to go into. And the bit that I hold on to... Um, God's not a kind of bully God. He doesn't uh, just wrench it away from you. He, he just waits for us to give it to him. And so, obviously, it's very clear that, you know, if I've got half a four if I keep half of it, there's only half left for God. Um, uh, and so, the other way around is if I let go of that, it gives more room for God, more capacity for God to fill me and have his way in my life. Um, and so... The question, uh, another picture came to me, which was a similar thing, but was the question about what is at the bottom of that jar? What is that bit? Uh, What are the bits that are um, down there that are kind of limiting the capacity God has got to fill us? And uh, at the church leaders weekend away, um, I had this thing, which I think is probably relevant to many of us a lot of the time. And it's this sense of, sometimes um, we leave God's presence with a disappointment um, and a relief. Okay, the relief bit is that um, God hasn't got down to the deep bits that hurt. Um, The bits that might make you well up if you start talking about it. Um, We're quite good at burying those, and, um, you know, we we kind of avoid them. So there's the relief bit. But the disappointment bit is that God didn't get down to those bits. It's a kind of, you know, weird thing. Um, And I just shared with, with the leaders, you know, that actually... What, what are we going to settle for here? You know, what Are, are we going to leave disappointed, but relieved? Um, and then I had a picture of what was at the bottom of the jar, um, and this was specific, but it has relevance again. And the picture was of um, some lies that were down there, and I saw at the bottom of this, in this kind of floating... Uh, water, mur- quite murky down there there was a couple of lies, and the lies were uh, to do with love, so there were there was a word floating in it it was love and there was a word belonging they were both lo- floating in there and I just had the sense that God there were some lies going around in people 's heads that were actually limiting god 's capacity, which was do these these two lies number one you 're not loved, and number two you don 't belong there were two and this was among leaders and um, But that, I mean, you know, that's, that's not it. That, that is a bit of it. But, hey, there's, there's a whole bunch of other stuff. I mean, what's at the bottom of the jar? It's deep stuff that hurts. We all, we all uh, can carry some stuff, and it's variable. It might be um, that you, uh, you, look, you, you feel, don't feel accepted. You know, it might be that. You might, it, there's just so many different things that might be. Um, there's the things I can't let go of. Um, the things that I want to hold on to. Uh, an example for me personally was um, coming back to London um, and the sense that um, I'm bringing my children back into, you know, Dagnum and all that, and, and looking at the education system around and looking at the schools and thinking we mm, could, could do better than that, really. You know, um, it's h- holding on to my hopes, you know, for my life and my family and all that sort of stuff. There's a lot of, a lot of things that we can't. We find it really hard to let go of, actually. If you really think about it, I mean. You know, in in the context of us or my, oh no, it's fine. But actually, sometimes it's really difficult. Um, anything after the but, you know, um, uh, I think it was Julia Jones brought this to to the leaders. But there's that sense that um, sometimes we can say, oh yeah, that's all, all really good, but there's this bit, you know, but I but I, but I'm not quite sure about that. You know, I don't know if I agree with that bit. But is there any, anything, anything? Is it anything after about before? I don't know. But anyway, you get what I'm saying. It, there's 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 sometimes a but we put. Um, uh, and then there's liars. So there's these things. So what I feel is that people have started um, uh, uh, to, to empty some of those things out. I don't think it stopped because I think it's an ongoing thing. But there's, there was a sense at the leaders weekend that people started confessing it and saying it out loud and saying, look, I'm really struggling with this. Um, and somehow saying it out loud, comp- just I don't know how it works, but it did. It, it somehow completely poured that murky bit out. Um, and so I left um, the church leaders' week, weekend away feeling very empty in a good way. <laughs> I was kinda, there, there was this kind of thing I wasn't carrying around anymore. Um, and so that, that's what I feel God has been doing among us and has got more of to do. And so the question is, you know, so do I pour out? Do I let go? Uh, you know, do I really believe in this stuff? Uh, it, it, can I get over my hang-ups? Can I let go of those things or not? Uh, God wants us to have life and life to the full. Um, Satan wants to have half a kind of life. That, you know, that is an ideal situation for him. Um, to kind of have a bit of it, so we feel like we're all right-ish, but then to only have half of it. And what I'd like to say today is there is a better one. Uh, we're in the middle of it. And the truth be told, it is a uh, a challenging, hard battle we're we're in. Because the reality of it um, is painful. Um, Where people feel let down, hurt, disappointed, the reality of the the stuff that's going on inside is painful. Just as painful as a a real-life image, you know, battle. Um, but uh, what I want to talk about I'm going to get, talk to you about a few different people in the Bible who uh, started living this poured out life and what happened with them and what we might learn from it um, I wanted to quickly, very, very quickly read to you um, a parable It's by, by uh, a guy called Dallas Willard um, and this is a parable recently a pilot was practising high speed manoeuvres in a jet fighter fun she, notice it's a female, I don't know why, she turned the controls for what she thought was a steep ascent and flew straight into the ground. She was unaware that she had been flying upside down. This is a parable of human existence in our times. Not exactly that everyone is crashing, though there is enough of that, but most of us as individuals and the world society as a whole live at high speed and often with no clue to whether we are flying upside down or the right way up. Indeed, we are haunted by a strong suspicion that there may be no difference, or at least you know, that it is unknown or irrelevant. Um, the The battle among us is so crucial because um, there's a lot of people who just don't know. Um, they're waiting to see which way is up, which way is down. Um, and that's why it's a pretty, pretty difficult battle we face. So... Um, I'm going to move on uh, to the next bit. So obviously, we're we're looking for this uh, poured out life. But the real battle is, do we actually do it or not? And so um, the first story, first person I want to talk about is Abraham. Okay. Uh, Now, we all know the story about Abraham. It's got particular resonance to me and my family, because my first boy is called Isaac. Uh, Sometimes people look at oh, Isaac. Really? Are you sure? <laughs> Has Isaac heard that story? Um, <laughs> uh, now, the reason why we call him Isaac is uh, the fact that uh, it means he laughed. Um, and the point is that you know Isaac was born um, to Abraham when he was a pretty ancient uh, and passed it. It was uh, supernatural. Um, It was a promise that he had waited for for years and years and years and years and years and probably might have been starting to give up on, thinking, trying to reason it away, thinking, oh, well, maybe it was hypothetical or, I don't know, something strange going on. But um, he turned up, uh, which is amazing. But then um, the crazy bit was when uh, God came to um, Abraham and said to him, um, I'd like you to take Isaac up the mountain, up that mountain over there. Uh, in fact, he said, I'll show you the mountain when you get there. And I would like you to sacrifice him. Now, the um, the question I have, well, there's quite a lot of questions about that. The question I have got is, um, you know, why a mountain? Is God really mean? You know, think about it. Abraham... Um, he hears the instruction, and amazingly, he's, he's going to do it. Um, but then not only does he have to do it, he has to take his son up a mountain. I mean, it's not a kind of, let's quickly nip around the side and get it done quick. This is a long walk. This is a walk in which his son is right next to him. This is a walk in which his son is asking, Dad, you know, we're doing the sacrifice. Where's the, uh, where's the sacrificial lamb? Um, it's obviously becoming quite real that this is going to actually be him. Um, why a mountain? Something you, uh, I thought about mountains were um, that when you get to a mountain, you really start noticing you're walking. I don't know if anyone's walked up a mountain before. When you're walking along a pavement uh, or a flat ground, um, you walk and it's you can almost walk without even noticing it. You know, you can have a chat, conversation, stuff like that. But um, as, soon as, you start, as soon as you start getting an elevation, you can feel it in your legs more. Uh, you start puffing. Um, it will start stopping the conversation with the person next to you. You notice you are walking up a mountain. Um, this was a walk in which Abraham may well have had a lot of questions. But he may well have not had a lot of answers. I mean, he didn't, it doesn't say he had lots of answers. Um, now this is the bit I find amazing so obviously we know the story that Abraham uh, does gets to he's going to do the whole hog here Um, he's about to actually sacrifice his son and then God tells him to stop Um, and this is a bit Basically, there's this, so that he, God provides the ram or whatever it is, a lamb or something, in the bush. So He provides, get, provides there. And then um, Abraham named the mountain. Um, and, he, and he named it uh, God Will Provide. And then, this is the other amazing bit, is that um, there is this phrase that became part of the Jewish tradition. It continued on. And this was the phrase it says, On the mountain of the Lord. It will be provided. It became a refrain. It became something that came back. It became their testimony. And so um, at the point of sacrifice, he will provide. And there's no, you know, there's no getting away from the fact that he, he was about to do it. It's at the point of. Um, but at the point of, God will provide. Um, and that is a, uh, a promise for us. It is something that's been uh, that, that someone walks up a mountain to name, uh, and that is uh, at, at the top of this mountain, which is the mountain is basically walking up its sacrifice. At that point, God will provide. So, a poured-out life, it's costly, um, but God will provide. Um, In the Bible, um, earlier on, um, it says that um, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Um, There's something about the economy of God which is different to ours, which is as we pour out, there is something of value in it. Uh, There's something that that, that, uh, triggers something in his economy. Okay, so there's my first story um, of a person in the Bible. Um, Hebrews 11 verse 19 I just want to quickly read that now you notice I've got a proper preaching Bible it's absolutely minute so it will take me quite a long while to actually find anything Um, (laughs) I might not even be able to read it Um, Hebrews 11 verse 9 is that right? 19 sorry thank you Uh, it says Abraham reasoned so this is an interesting bit so, as he was going up here, it says this, Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. And Abraham, through his journey with God, was able to reason uh, the unreasonable. You know, he, he's able to reason something that isn't reasonable. And I think that's God, what God has got for us. Right. Next story, Jesus. Okay, now this is, this story is in Mark uh, chapter ten, and this this story just got me, and it always does. Um, and it's about uh, James and John. This is there's an interesting bit about the story that this comes straight after. You know the story about the uh, rich uh, young ruler where he goes up to Jesus and says, Look, "I'm doing all these laws, I'm doing all this uh, stuff for you. Um, what else can I can I do?" He's, you know, really trying to get the uh, get the the, the best rank Christian sort of thing, following you. What else can I do? And so Jesus says, Oh, right, well, so what you can do is you can sell all of your belongings and follow me. You can sell everything, the whole lot, you know. And then uh, that guy walks away. Um, he actually walks away and he's sad because he's got so much. Um, he couldn't pour that out. He couldn't pour that out. Um, it was too costly for him. So this follows that, um, that bit in the Bible. And and James and John, so disciples, I can't believe they do this. I still uh, find it hard. I'm actually going to turn to it because I'll probably paraphrase it wrong. Um, Matthew, Mark. It's not really, right, here we are. Yeah, chapter 10. So, uh, chapter 10, verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, what a great name. Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Oh, cheek, eh? What? What's that about? We want you to do whatever we ask. Oh, what do you want me to do for you? He asked. And I replied, Well, now I think he probably they took Jesus aside, I imagine, you know. Uh, well, first of all, let one of us sit at your right, and the other at your left in your glory, please, you know, why? I, I find that amazing, they, they must have known Jesus a little bit by then, what uh, makes me happy to feel is that um, the disciples would have similar uh, hang-ups and things, they make mistakes like, like we do, which is really good to know, and also Jesus um, loved them through it, which I find is brilliant, um, And then Jesus says, you you just don't know what you are asking. Um, The the disciples, um, they were projecting something of what they thought would be the solution to the problem uh, onto the situation. So in their mind, uh, they believed in Jesus. I think yes is the Messiah. And then then what they did, uh, and it was a mistake, is that they then thought they knew what the answer was going to be. It fits into their way round of thinking, in their economy, and how they would do it. Um, and so they were imagining Jesus would uh, lead an uprising, they were, he, Jesus would uh, overthrow the Romans, um, and that Jesus would become the king of the Jews. Uh, you know, that's what the expectation was. And so, um, you know, they, they wanted to be part of it. What a cheek, you know, what about the other disciples? Like, but, you know, you know, um, at least they gave it a go, I suppose. But, um, so you know, that's their way of thinking. But then Jesus said this, um, you don't know what you're asking. And I'll show you why they didn't know what they were asking, because of that. You see, that sign there says um, Jesus, King of the Jews. That was when he was crowned. Do you still want to go to the left and the right? Really? You see, Jesus' ways are just not our ways. Um, we try and project something of how we would do it onto it, and we make a mess of it. Um, you see, this is what, um, what Jesus said. He said, hm, this is not surprising, when the ten heard about this they became indignant with James and John I'm not surprised Jesus called them together and said this you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them not so with you instead whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all for even the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many you see, um, God's way is not our way. Um, and his ways are pretty well um, the other way around to how we would see them. Uh, certainly the earth's way of seeing them. They are generally topsy-turvy and upside down. And, and so I think Jesus has quite easily demonstrated that um, living a poured out life um, in that way around, it, the way up is down. And the way up is service. Now, um I'm going to read a bit from Philippians now, and that's going to be probably where I'm going to uh, spend the rest of this time. Uh, Well, it's not quite true because we're going to Corinthians a bit, but Philippians is um, really what struck me after the Leaders' Weekend. I was reading Philippians, and there's some bits in it that just really struck struck a chord. And the first bit um, was in Philippians uh, 2, and it says this. And this is quite a big chunk, Um, but I'm going to read it anyway. So, chapter three. Um, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Now, this is the ultimate example of a poured out life. It says this, who being in the very nature God, um, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That is, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Um, So basically, um, it says this, Jesus made himself nothing, uh, not only human, but he was born in the lowest place and lived in the lowest village. He not only lived in the lowest village, he hung out with the lowest people. He not only served, but was obedient to death. He didn't just die, he died the death of the worst criminal. So every step of the way, um, he went to the bottom. There was was not a single bit where he uh, tried to grab anything. Um, He just went down and down and down. But then, God said, he rose him up and up and up. Because Jesus is now exalted in the highest place. Every knee and every tongue and every principality will confess that he is Lord. There's something about living a poured out life, which while you pour out, when you get to the bottom, you get lifted up. But you get lifted up beyond anything that you could have ever even conceived or dreamed of or thought of or uh, thought was the best way. And people have begun to experience that in their lives, that they begin to see, my goodness, God had a better plan. I mean, if I did it my way, it would have been all right. But I'm so glad I did what God wanted. Um, So, God's economy is the opposite way up to ours. In his economy, the way up is down. The first shall be last. The poor in spirit are, in fact, fact blessed. The wise are foolish. Um, Now, there's something I wanted to bring out of this, which is to do with the currency in this upside-down economy. Um, There's a couple of things, but I think the thing that I wanted to bring out of Philippians is this bit. It says, um, if you have any any encouragement um, from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Holy Spirit, if any tendance and compassion then um, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. And so the currency, I felt, was, is to do with humility. Um, now, you've got to be careful with the hu- word humility. Um, it says, in humility, consider, uh, considers others better than yourself. Now, that doesn't mean to say you think you're rubbish. Because if you think about it, if you think you're rubbish, then it doesn't take much for someone to think of someone above you, you know, or better of you than I me. Mean, you know, if you're the worst of the worst, you think, oh, you're a bit better than me. That's not saying a lot, is it? Um, there, there is a correct view of ourselves, uh, and it's what God's view of us is. So it's not thinking little of ourselves, but it's just not thinking about ourselves. Um, this is what C.S. Lewis says. Um, a proud man is always looking down on things and people. As long as you're looking down, you cannot see something above you. And my question is, where is your gaze? Because there is there's the pride, which is the opposite of humility, which is, you're uh, feeling good about yourself because you're looking down uh, at other, on other people. Um, but there is also an, a, an aspect of where is your gaze? Uh, are you looking across at other people? There's that um, comparison thing um, that we, we can sometimes fall into and um, which is just so pre- prevalent. Uh, prevalent. Uh, so there is w- the, the question is where is uh, your gaze? Okay, now... The third person I wanted to look at is Paul. Okay, now Paul uh, wrote Philippians, the bits that, some of the bits I'm reading out of. Um, and he was writing Philippians in, in chains. But I wanted to say um, that if I could like Paul to anyone, it would be Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, and I'll tell you why. Okay, think about it. Okay, you've got Cristiano, Cristiano Ronaldo uh, in a Champions League final, Man U against Real Madrid. Just imagine, I know it's not that, but, you know. Um, key player, Cristiano Ronaldo. He is a key player. If anyone enjoys football knows he, he He basically is a game changer. He scores goals like anything. He, he, he's like a booster rocket up his bottom. Just unbelievable, it really is. I, um, but imagine what would happen if he, um, halfway through it, swapped sides. You know, imagine the uproar. Uh, and the consolation in Real Madrid's team. It's like, oh, what has happened? That is exactly what happened with Paul. You see, Paul uh, switched teams. He was a murderous opponent of the way, which is the, the uh, Christians. Um, he was not only a murderous opponent, he was a brilliant opponent. Uh, he was an outstanding theologian. He just knew the Bible. He was unbelievable. Uh, he was like Cristiano, Cristiano Ronaldo in football terms. He was just... Um, brilliant but God uh, God whacked him in all I can say is he's on the road and suddenly God just turned up and, and it's a bit like you know no I went but it's just it's an unbelievable <laughs> yeah you know where I was going uh, it's a bit like it's just amazing um, so he was blinded and Jesus said you know what are you doing persecuting me and um, the crazy thing is that this, he was on his way to go and get a whole bunch of uh, people in the way, or the Christian movement, following Jesus. Uh, they was about to get them, shove them in prison. Um, and, and, and God brought him up short and said, Look, I want you to start working for me. Uh, and blinded him, and after three days, uh, he, he, he could see again. Um, and then in Acts 9 22 23, it says this Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews. Uh, living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. Uh, after many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him. He um, was just so, uh, so talented and, and full of God that he was, he was, he was like Cristiano Ronaldo swapping sides. His life, the rest of his life, was spent um, basically um, telling people about Jesus or in prison, in prison telling people about Jesus. He spent about uh, five or six years uh, solid in, in prison, or well, not solid in different states, but he was in prison for about five or six years. Um, he, uh, people think, uh, well, people know that he was killed by the Romans, but he, in 68 AD, he was actually—they think he was uh, beheaded. Um, I'm going to skip that bit. Um, But this is what I wanted to um, bring out uh, from Paul's life. Um, So, he's gone from being this amazing, respected leader of Jews um, to basically hanging out with criminals a lot of the time. The way up is down. Um, uh, He wrote Philippians uh, while he was in in prison. Uh, one of the times he was in prison. Um, And so this is what he says, chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For uh, For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for such confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reason uh, to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. You know, he was he was he was the best at doing the law. But then he says this, but Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. So basically, it's a, an absolute picture of what it is to live a poured out life. He's basically switched, switched sizes, switched economies, and said, basically, what I used to think uh, was good, you know, when I had, you know, that full, full up pot of me, I now see that as rubbish because there's no room for God in it. Um, basically, um, the question is which kind of prison um, was he in? He basically traded a prison. Of thought and mind and religion, for a pri- an actual prison, he spent five or six years in prison. But the fact is that he had joy in in the in the real prison, and his real joy um, was because he knew God. Um, he realised that he had been locked up all this time, desperately clinging to his own righteousness. And the question is: Can we? Could we be like that sometimes? Can we desperately cling to try and? Be right? Are we desperate to hold it together sometimes, or could it be time for us to let go? Now, I've got one bit to show you um, from a film clip. Now, because I come to the final part, because so we've looked at Abraham, we've looked at um, uh, Jesus, and we've looked at Paul, um, and the next bit um, is us. It's us. We, we're the next bit. Okay, so. Uh, I've got a film clip for you, um, bear with us because we've had a bit a bit of problem with this but um there's two bits I hope we'll see, and if not, you might see a different bit but we'll we'll, we'll find out right um so there's there's the us bit
1: um
0: last Sunday I was uh I had had that that kind of picture of what what's going on in that uh clip um that some of us feel a bit like statues sometimes. You know, there's there's kind of hardness and feel really not very alive. But that was definitely how I felt before God met with me and changed to how I was. And it's a bit like God breathing life back into uh, people who have been in battle but then cut off at some point. Um, but, but this is the bit, um, the bit that, that struck me, was that um, in all of those stories we've talked about, all of those people who lived a poured-out life, there was something extra. Um, and it's, it's God's secret. Wisdom and plan. Uh, there's something, something about, um, you know, the whole thing about um, God's way, being blew, blowing James and whatever his face's uh, ideas out of the water were. And, um, he, he turns things around. And, um, this is what I felt like God wanted to uh, finish off with, and it was 1 Corinthians um, chapter 2, um, verse 6 to 11, 6 to 11. And this is it. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Um, The thing is that um, if... Um, the rulers at the time had got any idea of what um, would happen, what would be unleashed uh, when Jesus was crucified, they would not have done it. Uh, Including Satan, including uh, all of the uh, principalities and powers, they would not have done it, just like in that clip, the white witch would not have done it, but they just did not know. And this is what he says, however it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Now, the thing is that um my 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 widget's not working anymore. He's, he's, how dare you? Um, the scope of God's reach, right, is the it, scope of God's reach is breathtaking. He um he knows the beginning from the end. Um, and we win, obviously. Um, but he know he knows it. He you know. When um, we think we might know the best way, we just don't, Um, really don't. Um, If the rulers of this age had known the secret, they would have changed their plan. But they didn't know the secret. Um, And this is the amazing secret plan. do you know what the secret plan is? Um, It's us. We are it. You know, there isn't anything different. We are the secret plan. I'll I'll continue because it says this. Um, the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of man except the man, man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the Spirit of the well, but the Spirit of, um, who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But this is the punchline. But we have the mind of Christ. And what what was unleashed is a bunch of followers who... um, who have got the mind of Christ Uh, we've got the mind of Christ Uh, what Paul talked about as the all surpassing greatness of knowing him Um, when he says knowing him it's not kind of just being a friend it's actually knowing his mind Um, and I believe that is where God is calling us to as a community Um, and it's that that, uh, sense that we can pour out and God's going to pour back in again but he's going to push it down until it overflows Um, and so as we let go and pour ourselves out, what is God going to pour in? Well, he's going to pour in God's mind. In situations, uh, in, uh, among friends, uh, as we go along and see something in the park or in, in a shop, we see something in someone and we call it out because we know God's mind. Uh, we have his thoughts. Uh, we have God's wisdom in situations. Um, uh, so then if we have these things that are poured into us, then what spills out? Well, God's rule spills out. Um, God's power spills out from us. Heaven uh, is uh, spilling out of us. Um, His way round, his way up. So if we go back to the original analogy of the aeroplane, there's people who are flying upside down, but they'll suddenly be touched by something that is the right way up, and they will start thinking, my goodness, I'm going the wrong way round here. And that is what God's calling us to. But there is an absolute ferocious battle over our minds on this, and it isn't an easy one. And um, there are lies that come in um, to do with oh, but it's all it's all right for them. They're okay because you know their life is all sorted, and they're all right, you know, flying the other way around, because they've got everything sorted anyway. Those kind of lies. There's a kind of you know, I would do that. I would give those things, but I, but I, I just can't let go of it because it hurts too much, or you know, it's all of those things. So. That is where, where I feel at the moment God, God is stirring us up as a community. I think it's to release us to be God's mind on earth. Um, and so there's a few things to think about. We, we will go on to, uh, I have got a song for us to listen to, time reflection, and then we'll go into some worship. But these are the, the key questions I want us to be thinking about, and it might well be God's dropped some other things in you. Um, the first one was um, to do with Abraham. Uh, do you feel like you're going up a mountain at the moment? Do you, need, do you need God's provision? To do Jesus, where is your gaze at the moment? So it's up to humility. Um, do you need to let go of anything? And do you, you know, do you feel like a statue? Because I certainly spent about four years feeling like a statue, kind of half, half me, uh, not really, not really functioning. So um, I'll leave it there. Thank you